0: We're going to cover a large segment of scripture today because it is a narrative, and there's really no good place to break into the narrative. But before we begin, let's pray. Our Lord, we sh- ask that you would show us yourself and your ways, the reality of who you are, that we might be, as John is inciting us to do, authentic full believers in the full reality of who you are we ask this of you good shepherd jesus and all god's people said amen last week we began john chapter 8 and it begins with that episode when jesus is teaching in the temple and they so he's already got a crowd before him. And they drag in, some men drag in this woman and bring her before Jesus. And they say to him, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Moses says, she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And as I pointed out last week, Jesus does this demonstration. He starts waving his finger. Well, what does that communicate? You brought her to the right fellow. You've come to the right fellow, because I am actually the one who, with my finger, etched those Ten Commandments into the stone tablets up on Mount Sinai. You've come to the right fellow, and he bends over he's sitting down he's the rabbi they're all standing he bends over and he just starts scribbling in the in the dust of the floor and then he sits up and says he who is without sin among you let him cast the first stone and everybody's eyes get wide everybody's eyes not just the accusers but every oh. Uh, 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 I'm not sinlessly perfect. I'm not sinlessly perfect. Even the Pharisees who had dragged her in there, uh, I don't want to tell these people I'm sinlessly perfect. (laughs) And so then Jesus bends over again, takes his eyes off the crowd, and quietly the accusers file out, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, They file out, and then Jesus sits up again, and the accusers are all gone. The crowd is still there. The woman is still there. Woman, where are your accusers? They've all left. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The purpose of the law was to drive people to repentance so that they could be forgiven was David not forgiven as we reflected on last week was David the adulterer murderer David not forgiven yes he was and i also cited the example found in matthew's gospel where they let the paralyzed fellow down on the cot through david through peter's roof and jesus says to this fellow your sins are forgiven and the Jewish leaders who are there are all offended. Who is this man that dares to forgive sins? That's something that belongs to only God himself. He's the offended party. And Jesus says to them, I will prove to you that I have the authority to do the invisible thing that only God can do. And he then says to the paralyzed young man, take up your bed and go home. So he does a visible thing that only God could do as proof that he can do the invisible. He, ha- he is the God who has authority to forgive sins. And the woman taken in adultery leaves. And then Jesus continues. <clears throat> and then Jesus says in verse 12 of chapter 8, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He has just grabbed them by the throat and declared something about him that if he is not fully God, is is blasphemy. But he's saying it, And it's true. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life that leads to life, that leads to the fullness of every blessing that God purposes to bring to his redeemed people. And they are offended. They are offended. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. By the way, as I cited last week, the word true there means not allowed in a court of law. I mean, if you're the defend, defendant and you stand up and declare your innocence, that doesn't carry a lot of weight. But oh, I'm not by myself. I have a co witness, my father also testifies beside me. And that does fulfill the requirement of the book of Leviticus. That does fulfill the requirement. And they are offended by that. It says in verse 18, I am one who bears witness of myself, and the father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. By the way, father is a term used for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old, Old Testament, but very seldom. Deuteronomy 32. They're about to enter into the land. It's one of the last messages of God through Moses. And God says, thus says the Lord, I am your father father i fathered you i am your rock but only a half a dozen times or so in the rest of the entire old testament three quarters of our bible do they ever refer to god as father why because it is an act of desperation and they only ever cite him as their father when they have blown it so completely they got nothing nothing else And he's saying to them, verse 19, they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. You don't know God. He's speaking to the crowd that's left. You don't know God. They're there in the temple. Why? To worship. But they don't. No, God. They've got all the outside indicators that says they do, but they don't. God knows the heart. Jesus knows the heart. Verse 19, Then they said to Him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, Do you know Me? Neither Me nor My Father. If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. You wouldn't even be asking this question These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. And then the narrative continues. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin where I go. You cannot come. I'm going away. I'm going to escape your wicked purposes. And where I'm going, you can't follow me. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. And again, something that John emphasizes, God the Holy Spirit through John's pen emphasizes, even though they've had Jesus, they've raised the question, well, Messiah is supposed to be from Bethlehem, Messiah is from the line of David, he's a net, Jesus never responds to those declarations. He always says in John's Gospel, his point of origin is always the same. Heaven. Heaven. Did I tell you I'm from heaven? I'm from heaven. Did I tell you I'm from the Father? I'm from the Father. I'm from the Father. I'm from the Father. I'm from the Father. I'm from heaven. I'm from heaven. I'm from heaven. John chapter 1 verse 1 In the beginning was the word he already was present and the word was with God in a face to face relationship with with the God the son with the father and God was the word he's in a face to face relationship with the father and he like the father is God and the word became flesh and tabernacle tented dwelt among us and we beheld his glory glory as of the only begotten of the Father you are from beneath I am from above you are of this world I am not of this world therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And how much evidence did he give them to believe that he was, in fact, from heaven, sent from God? Ample, ample, ample evidence. More than enough. Overwhelming evidence. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for you do not believe. If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Then they said to Him, Who are you? What did He just say? It's bounced off them. It's bounced off Have you ever had that experience with somebody where you told them the forthright truth and it's like you never said anything? Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning, from the beginning of my public ministry. In John's gospel, Jesus calls the disciples who later are named as apostles. He does his first miracle in Cana of Galilee, he turns water into wine he does a god act just as in the genesis chapter 1 he creates a creation that has the appearance of age it's a full creation it has the appearance of it he didn't just create acorns he created oak trees he created wine not just grape juice something that had the appearance of age He does this work, by the way, later in John's Gospel. Earlier than the passage we are in right now, his own brothers are rebuking him. His own brothers are mocking him. Well, and they're in Galilee. Well, if you are who you say you are, why don't you go to Jerusalem and present yourself to them? Well, it's not my time to do that yet, but it's always your time. You can repent right now. And it says his brothers did not believe in him. They were present in Cana of Galilee. The Scripture is very specific. They were present in Cana of Galilee when he turned water into wine. They've seen evidence. And here are people doing the same thing as his own brothers. Who are you? Jesus said to them, just as what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. Everything I am voicing to you has been taught to me and put into my mind and heart by my Father, By the way, the Scripture is very clear, Luke's Gospel. Jesus actually grew in in knowledge. He put himself through, through the same training process, learning process that we go through. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Well, if you read the context, that's clear who he was saying, what he is saying. But they didn't get it. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Now that term lifted up is only used one more time in John's Gospel. It's used in John chapter twelve, verses thirty. 2 to 34, and it is a clear reference to being lifted up on the cross. Being lifted up on the cross. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. When Jesus went to the cross, he was fulfilling one prophecy after another, after another. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, said John the Baptist. And he would fulfill all those Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that would bring peace to us was laid on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. When you make his soul, the travail of his soul, your offering, he, God, God the Father, will see that travail and he will be satisfied You will be satisfied and you will be forgiven. You will be justified. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus' birth. When you lift me up, then you will know. Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. He is always with me, always with me, always with me. He who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. That is a gigantic statement coming from the mouth of any other person born of adam and eve that's blasphemy but not when it's jesus everything i do everything i i always do those things that please him as he spoke these words many believed in him many believed in him many believed in him then jesus said to those who believed in him Again, let me remind you of what I've been saying virtually every week. (laughs) At the close of John chapter 2, Jesus has cleansed the temple, this den of thieves. He's cleansed the temple, and he's done many, many, many signs, and many believed in him. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, for he knew what was in all men. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. That man came to Jesus by night, and you can follow the Nicodemus narrative through John's Gospel. It took him three full years to come out publicly for Jesus. There's there's believers and there's believers and there's there are levels of belief. When you start to hear the gospel testimony, you can say, "I think that that sounds right. That sounds right. That sounds right." Then all of a sudden, whoops! You mean? This fellow in front of me is God come in the flesh? Whoa, 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 whoa. I can't stretch my mind. I I, I believe, I believe, I believe. That's the narrative of John's gospel. What sort of believer are you, reader of this gospel? What sort of believer are you? Are you the sort of believer that actually, by God's help, gets your mind and heart and arms wrapped around the fullness of his testimony? Or do you back off? Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And what's their immediate response? They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Stop! What? What? We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Did you ever hear about that time, about 400 years in Egypt? Did you ever hear about that time when the Assyrians took the ten northern tribes off into captivity? Did you ever hear about that time when the Babylonians took the the Judah and Benjamin off into captivity? Did you ever hear about that time when you got conquered (coughs) by them and by Alexander's people and by the descendants of, you know, the four generals that divided the land, Antiochus? Did you ever hear about that? uh, uh, Let's see. There's the Roman fellows. (laughs) that are you're under their heel right now. What in the world are you talking? And of course, if you read the Hebrew Scriptures, most of the time, Israel was in spiritual rebellion against God, worshiping idols. <laughs> so yeah, We are Abraham's descendants that have never been in bondage to anyone. You're in bondage right now. How can you say you shall be made free? Well, did Abraham not need to be made free? Yes, he did. Genesis 15, and Abram believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was freed, he was in a state of condemnation, and he was freed, he was brought into a a state of forgiveness, of cleansing, of being justified before the holy God. We are Abraham's descendants. Have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, and he goes right to the critical issue. Many, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. What began this whole narrative? Dragging the woman taken in adultery into his presence in the temple, and he says to the accusers. He who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone." And everybody is wide-eyed, backing up, including the accusers, and they, the accusers quietly file a, He is without sin. Well, they've already admitted they are not without sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. A slave is a possession. The owner can sell that slave. And if the slave dies, that's that. There's no inheritance that goes from that owner to the descendants of that. A slave is a possession. A son is an heir. And by the way, as Paul states in Galatians, in the Roman Greek, Greek, Roman world, and that the Jews were part of, the word son meant heir, regardless of gender. If you were an heir, you were called a son at the county courthouse. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. As long as that estate exists, he is an heir of it. Therefore, if the son makes you free, sets you free from being a slave into being adopted into the family, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Just a few verses earlier, it said they believed in him. But what is the measure? What is the fullness of their belief? They believe what they understand. And as he discloses more to them, they're retreating. They're backing up. I know that you were Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. As I'm giving you further revelation, what I have been taught by my Father to communicate to you, you're backing up. You seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do and you what do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, "Abraham is our father." Jesus said to them, "If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham." No, your response is proof, final proof. No, indeed, you are not Abraham's children. Now, he's not talking about physical descent. He's talking about spiritual replication. Abraham is our father. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to Kill me. A man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So they're ramping up their argument. Oh, we're descendants of, no, we're God. No, God is our father. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself. It wasn't by my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Why can't you get your mind wrapped around what I'm saying and welcome it? Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able. It's not in you. You are fallen people encountering the unrestrained, undiluted truth, and there is nothing in you that allows you, by yourself, to respond in a positive way. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil. and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. You are replicas of Lucifer. Not the God who created all things. Not the one who redeemed your forefather Abraham. No. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Can you name one flaw about me? Remember, he's a public figure. He's had people surrounding him, especially the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. They've been peeking at him from behind rocks and bushes for a long time, trying to find one flaw that they could bring as an accusation against him. And they can't do it. He is the Lamb of God, the flawless Passover Lamb, who will take away the sin of the world. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. It's A couple of chapters ago, Jesus says, if you listen to me, if you listen to me, you will. if you have already heard the voice of my Father, then when I speak, you will know, you'll hear the resemblance. You'll hear that resemblance and you will know it. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. This is a group of people that just a few minutes before it says of them, they believed in him. But when he challenges that, when he expands the revelation, they draw back, they draw back, they draw back. Let me ask you a question. Now, I'm asking myself the same question. Every day we are tested. Every day we are tested. Do we abandon the declarations about God and his promises and go into devastation and go into disappointment and go into grief and go into or do we by God the God the Holy Spirit's help do we embrace help embrace his promises and his declarations about who he is and his loyalty to us if you are an authentic follower of Jesus, you will push against all opposition. You will push forward in the strength of God's Holy Spirit, and embrace His promises, His self-declarations, and you will move forward each step of your life with that as your environmental and spiritual environment. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And we often have, are seeing people who are part of a congregation, and they are being tested, and instead of embracing God's promises, they run off in other directions. And perhaps that is something we have done in times past. God is inciting us. Jesus in this passage is inciting us to press forward by the help of His Holy Spirit to press forward into the fullness of the revelation about Him and His loyalty to us and His that He is absolutely beyond adequate in addressing whatever issue we're facing. Verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They don't have an answer. And so they're going to attack him in the most vile way they can of all the ethnic groups on the planet, which is the ethnic group that the Jewish people despise the most the Samaritans. Do we not say rightly? Oh, we've said this before, more in private, now we're saying it in public that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Whatever you say or do to the Son, you've done it to the Father. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges... Jesus didn't come on his own initiative. The Father sent him. And he is, he, is, he is living his life with this purpose in mind, that the Father would be glorified. What is the ultimate purpose we are to have fixed in our minds and hearts, in our walk with God, that the Father, that the Son, that the Holy Spirit would be magnified? I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. We prayed earlier. We were incited to pray for the mainline, old-time Protestant denominations who have done what? Abandoned what their forefathers embraced and taught. They went from honoring, those denominations went from honoring God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to dishonoring. Is there a surprise? Not according to John's Gospel. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never... Excuse me, let me back up. Verse 50, and I do not seek my own glory, There is one who seeks and judges. My Father is the one governing my life experience. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Well, great question. Great question. (laughs) Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. What had they been accusing him of before? Oh, you're violating the law, the book of Leviticus that says you can't testify of yourself. That really doesn't carry any weight in our court. What are they asking him to do? We want you to testify of yourself. (laughs) What, just a few minutes before you told me I shouldn't be doing, you want me to do it now? That's how confused the enemies of God are. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It doesn't carry the weight, but it is my Father who honors me, who testifies of me, of whom you say that he is your God. My Father is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him, and if I say, I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. If Jesus is in everything that the Scripture testifies of him to be in the Gospel accounts, that's a horrible thing to say. But because he is God come in the flesh, because he is absolute perfection in his walk on this earth and the reality and everything that he says everything that he does is a perfectly accurate replication of what the father has instructed him and laid out for him to do because that is all true this isn't blasphemy have not known him but I know him and if I say I do not know him I shall be a liar like you but I do know him and keep his word and no matter how deeply you examine my words and my works you will never find a flaw your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. He rejoiced to see my day. What was the great day of joy and the life experience of Abraham and Sarah? The day their son, Laughter, was born. We say Isaac. It's really Yitzhak. Some of you are old enough to remember that Israeli premier named Yitzhak Rabin. It means laughter. Yuck, 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 yuck. (laughs) When did they laugh? When Isaac, when Yitzhak was born, they laughed. God kept his promise. Genesis 15, Lord, I'm 90 years old. My wife Sarah is 80. We got a promise 20 plus years ago that we would have a son. It still hasn't happened. And I, huh, huh. Abraham, step out of your tent. Abram stepped out of your tent. If you can count the number of stars, you can count the number of your descendants. If you can count the grains of sand on the seashore, you can count the number of your descendants. And Abram believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But it would be another 10 years before Yitzhak would be born and when he was born they named him laughter because they laughed they were so full full of glee they were so full of glee they couldn't name him anything else Abraham saw my day the day I kept that promise and was glad Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, the day I showed up in his life experience with the birth of of Yitzhak. And he saw it and was glad. He rejoiced. He laughed. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was... Have I seen it? Oh, before Abraham was, I am. The term Yahweh is a condensed version of I am. I am who I am. I am the ever-present God in all of fullness. Before Abraham was, I am he points to himself and says, you're looking at Yahweh. (laughs) Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Well, he's in the, surrounded by a crowd of people in a public place, and he hid himself and went through the crowd in, a, in hiding. This fellow who had been the focus of all of their attention, suddenly, I don't think we're stretching our minds too much to understand, he simply became invisible to them. And he walked through the crowd, and there, what just happened? We are coming to the Lord's table. And it's the God who does things that are considered impossible. What is the greatest miracle? in all of history, and I use that word because it was a time, eternity past to today, what is the greatest miracle? Was it the physical creation? Is that not a mighty miracle? I would say to you, the mightiest miracle, the mightiest act of God ever, the act of God that even causes the angels to become silent, was when God the Son, become flesh, went to the cross and was nailed to a wooden altar called the cross. And there He was judged by His Father for our sin, as our substitute, as our substitutionary sacrifice That is the greatest revelation of all. And we come to the Lord's table because this One that people couldn't get their minds and hearts wrapped around the reality of who He was, God has favored you God has favored me by coming into our life experience and sitting down with us and stretching, giving us sight, and then stretch pulling back the curtain of the reality of the redemptive work of Jesus and giving us understanding. The fact that you even understand. The fact that you can get your mind wrapped around what, to some extent, (laughs) none of us has it fully engaged, is by itself an act of mercy and grace. And then that He enables us to embrace and be embraced back by that work of Jesus done for us. What's John's big point in his Gospel? Chapters 1-12, through 12, it's all what kind of believer are you? Are you the one that when push comes to shove, you go another direction? Or are you the one that when push comes to shove, you continue to believe, to trust, to walk in Him? as we come to the Lord's table we are commemorating that greatest act that God has ever done that even causes the angels to become silent shocked when God's love God's mercy was demonstrated wasn't just declared as it had been by the Hebrew prophets but actually done.